0: Hello and welcome to episode 83 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories, one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Frank Gogol, comics creator. Last year, Frank had a breakout hit with his book, Dead End Kids from SourcePoint Press, and now he's back with his latest project, No Heroin. The creative team on this book is Frank Gogol, writer. Art is by Chris Madd. Colors are by Shauna Madd. Lettering is by Sean Reinhardt, And cover art is by Ahmed Raffet. Uh, this is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah.
1: Hey there,
0: Frank. Thanks so much for for joining us. Uh, why don't you lead us off with a short bio about yourself and a little bit about your comics?
2: Sure. Uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, you're my first one, sort of, of the the no heroin promo tour. So, Sweet. thanks for being my warm up.
1: <laughs> um, exclusive stuff.
2: Yeah. That's that's what I like to hear. Uh, So for anyone who didn't hear the last interview we did last year I am Frank Gogol. I am a comic book writer and I feel confident saying that these days. I didn't used to feel that way Um, I write books like Grief, which was uh, the Ringo Awards nominee for best collection of 2018 this past year Um, I wrote Dead End Kids as you mentioned, which was sort of a big breakout hit last year and I'm about to drop my third uh, sort of a uh, in print published book no heroine this summer uh, i've been writing comics for uh, it's, gotta, it's gonna be about four years ago i started this april mm-hmm. um and uh you know i'm just out here hustling trying to trying to make good stories that people like
0: yeah um before we before we dive into to the new book let's let's talk a little bit about dead end kids because uh we did an interview with you before that came out, but once that came out, that was a pretty crazy time for you, I guess.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was. I've had a lot of time to think on it at this point, and truthfully, it was it was terrifying. Like, I mean, that sounds like exactly the opposite of what most people think you would say if you had like a book kind of blow up and people willing to pay like sixty dollars for an issue on eBay and stuff like that. But it is it is a nightmare to have a hit book and not have had one prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, I don't, I don't even know how to really like explain it other than this. Um, the book came out on August 1st, I think, was the f- official release date of issue one. It was supposed to come out two weeks prior and was delayed at Diamond for a couple of reasons for a couple of weeks. Um, and the first printing had sold out before the original release date. So it had been sold out for like two weeks before the first issue came out and then was delayed another two weeks. So it was sort of like bubbling in the back of people's minds for about a month before it actually came out. And then I live on the West coast, um, and comic shops open at about 11 o'clock on the East coast, give or take.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so
2: eight o'clock my time at eight Oh one, my time, I started getting calls Um, and this, I mean, I had just woken up, I was sitting in my home office, just kind of hanging out, getting ready for my day. Um, and comic shops started calling me like Mm -hmm. comic shops on the East coast in Maryland and New York and New Jersey and Florida started calling me people I'd never spoken to before, who I didn't know and asking me like how they could get more copies of number one. And this was before I had even known the book had sold out. And like, I had a shop in Utah call me at 1101 local time in Utah and say, hey, we just sold out 20 copies as soon as the door opened, can we get more? How do we get more? And all good problems to have. Like, I don't don't mean to sound ungrateful because it was an awesome experience, but it was, I mean, like probably until the beginning of December, which you know, as of this recording was just a couple of weeks ago, six weeks ago, I still had people reaching out to be trying to get copies, retailers, speculator groups, buying groups, um, just regular old fans. I think I spent more time talking to people about why I couldn't get them copies than I actually did <clears throat> doing podcasts and like mm-hmm. moving copy yeah. conventions and stuff like that. Um, so like the experience itself was, it was a great learning experience. <clears throat> I'm obviously very grateful the book did well. I'm glad people like, liked it, um, you know, even beyond like the first issue speculation boom that it had like, people went back for two and three and we sold out all the print runs of all the issues. Um, but yeah, it, was, it wasn't bad, but it was definitely wild.:
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I can tell you from from my experience. Uh, I work in Washington D.C., so on lunch I, I zip over to Phantom Comics, and when I walked in, there was probably like maybe five to ten copies, and so I was lucky enough to you know be in that uh, first hour rush to to grab mine because they they weren't around for very long.
2: Well, good good for you. You you got there early. Yeah. You beat out, I guess, everybody else who reads comics.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> um, that is interesting because you know in the indie world you're just you know you're prepared for failure and everybody talks about like you know the uh you know the the thousand hours as matt likes to talk about you know that like you're 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 prepared for that but no one ever talks about like okay once you do get to a successful place what do you do as an independent creator that's that's awesome you You, you know that about that yourself that must have been hard
2: well, you know, that, that raises like a really interesting point and something that I try to sort of aspire to. Um, I, for my day job, I think I talked about this last time I was on. I work at a startup in San Francisco, like a literal eight person, multi million dollar operation in the, the financial tech world. And uh, I am essentially the, the marketing of the whole company. Um, and what that requires me to do is take on a lot of roles and projects that I'm not equipped for because they need to get done. Um, so it's a lot of thinking on my feet, learning on the fly, um, doing things that I have no idea what I'm doing and sort of just making it work. Uh, and I, I mean, it's sort of like a daily trial by fire, but it's also like good training for, okay, the situations in front of you, you know, you've got a, a book that people want. How do you respond? Like, how do you, how do you meet all these different demands and all these people trying to reach out to you and get stuff from you? And, um, you know, not everybody can say that. So I'm I'm super grateful that I sort of landed in this, this role where I'm sort of tried and tested every single day. Um, But yeah, it's like you, even, even with that, like you can't really prepare for, for what it's like. And like, I, I would say Dead had a very good success for an indie, like a moderate success for like a middle publisher. Like like if Image put that book out, it would be considered like a small success. Um, but I can't even imagine what it's like when like Ed Brubaker drops a new book. Like if his name's on it, it's a hit to begin with, and then there's everything that follows, like times times a million. So. I'm super glad that I got the opportunity to, to struggle and get harassed and, 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 sort of try and rise above it. Cause it, you know, it's sort of, like I said, trial by fire, like you, you learn on the go, but now I feel more prepared for, you know, no heroin to hopefully be a hit and dead end kids too. When that eventually comes out to be a hit and stuff like that.
1: Does source point, do you have, are you in charge at source point of how many copies go out? Like, so why were the comic cop shops like reaching out to you and not anyone over at um, source point?
2: Um, so Sourcepoint is sort of, uh, I'd say in terms of size, like I put them on par with an, a medium publisher, like they don't have like a, a measurable share of the market, like say a, a Marvel or an image or DC, but, um, in terms of output and, and reach and network, I'd say they're probably the biggest small publisher of one of the middle, middle sized publishers. Um, but they're still, you know, they've only been around for maybe, maybe five years, like from like the idea to present. Uh, so like the network of retailers isn't exactly sure who to always go to and that's okay. not a person. So like my name's on the book, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Like it was just probably the first person they came across, honestly. Um, I, I can only really speculate about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, the way the print runs tend to work at source Point press and I, I know it was definitely the case for dead and kids is, um, every book that is in previews has a two month window uh, where you can pre-order your local comic shop. So like the book was in previews in April and came out in July. So you had April and made a pre-order and then the end of May pre-orders cut off It went to print and then went to shops the first week of July or was supposed to. Um, and during that two months, you know, shops collect orders and diamond compiles essentially an order list and you get a number. Um, the number of orders is, you know, however many people wanted to buy. Um, and source point will take that number and then increase it by 20%. Okay. The reason for the 20% is because not a knock against diamond because I have nothing against them personally, but a lot of books tend to get damaged by the postal service. Yeah. Um. So you always overprint by about 10% to cover at least damages. Um, they do 20% to cover damages and any reorders. You know, if if, you know, a book picks up steam after it comes out. Um, You want to have some extra copies on hand so you can fulfill, you know, the, the demand, Um, the demand for dead end kids was much greater than, than that 20% though. Um, And that has to do at least in part because the book heated up after the pre-order window closed um, for whatever reason. So uh, the the second print run was equal to the first print run. They were both 3000 copies, which is, pretty uncommon. Usually your your second print run is like half or or less, you know, to to cover damages, uh, reorders and then like new readers who find out about the book. So like it was you know, it was 100% of the original order.
1: That's awesome. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. So, um before dead end kids uh you did grief and i've i've heard this story a few times i think this is a really cool story but um could you uh recap for everybody about how you found out about uh, grief getting uh picked up to be published
2: yeah yeah i'll, I'll do the short version this time because that, that story runs a few minutes um essentially i had written grief um between april and december of 2016 2016 yeah sorry, I'm getting my ears confused at this point. Um, and I had spent a lot of money uh, to get the book made and I wanted to sort of try and A, get my name out there, but I'll be recoup some of that money. So I did a digital only Kickstarter. Uh, grief was on Kickstarter in April, 2017. Uh, within 10 hours of the book being on Kickstarter, the book was almost double funded and went on to, to be extremely successful um, especially for a digital only book that people weren't getting like actual physical copies of. Um, And then uh, uh, at some point, between that and the October, I had been talking with Andy Schmidt, who runs Comics Experience, which is the online comic school where I, I, I learned how to write my first comics, um, about getting involved with their new, uh, soon-to-be-launched digital publishing line. Uh, I was going to be, not the flagship title, but like one of the first wave of titles. Um so that was that was sort of locked in pretty early in in April I think maybe or in, in 2017 maybe around May. Um, so I, I just you know went on the rest of 2017 thinking all right grief's going to come out you know through this digital publishing line and and comic experience is going to handle all the ropes. Um, in the meantime, I started doing networking. I started flying to conventions, treating them like trade shows, like for a career rather than like you know fan type mm-hmm. event. Um, and I was networking with. Uh, publishers and other creators. And uh, when I got to New York Comic-Con in uh, October of 2017, I went up to SourcePoint Press and I introduced myself to um, Travis McIntyre, who is the editor-in-chief and president of SourcePoint Press. And I was just, you know, shooting the shit with him. Honestly, I was just like, hey, I'm Frank Ogle and started talking. And I was just trying to like honestly make connections. I wasn't trying to pitch anything. I just wanted to know the guy um, and him to have the vaguest idea of who I was. And About midway through our conversation, Travis stops me. And um, for anyone listening who's never seen Travis, which is probably most of you, Travis kind of looks like uh, Tormund from Game of Thrones. He's he's a burly guy, wild red hair, big red beard. I mean, he's like a character of a human being sometimes.
1: Sorry. Oh, i've met him he's a great guy he's yeah. a pretty cool dude
2: yeah he's, he's wonderful he's one of the sweetest most sarcastic people i've ever met but he's very intimidating on first, first <laughs> oh call. yeah and he's got this sort of gruff um, i'm a tough guy voice um you know very detroit um so we're talking and halfway through the conversation he stops what's your name again i was like oh it's uh it's frank gold it's like oh yeah i just read your book i was like nah i think you're thinking of somebody else i didn't submit anything to you guys It's like grief right he's like yeah it's like yeah we're gonna pick it up i was like what the hell are you talking about and like i thought i thought i had had some kind of mental break you know between the stress of you know coming into the city at like 6 a.m on the train and like thousands of people and just general life i was sitting there and and the conversation just sort of moved forward after that like i didn't question it i didn't say anything it didn't even honestly register right away um 20 25 minutes later i'm walking around the show floor and i call my my then girlfriend, my now wife, and I said, I think I think I just got published, but I didn't submit anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would find out later that Andy, who is, you know, Andy Schmidt, who runs Comics Experience, um, not wanting to necessarily do a digital only line like he was planning to do and launch Grief With, uh, had been rubbing elbows with smaller publishers trying to put together some kind of publishing deal uh co-branded between comics experience and that publisher and they had landed on uh source point press and they had an agreement and on my behalf andy had submitted grief as one of the first wave titles um you know, not not behind my back or anything but because he knew that i was excited about getting it out there in the world so it all sort of came crashing down in that, that like one meeting and i thought i went crazy
1: that's so awesome. Yeah, I love that story. I remember that from the last episode. Yeah, that's really great. And uh with SourcePoint, do you um is it is it creator owned or does Source Point own the stories?
2: Uh I think everyone's contract is is a little bit unique onto the like the property and the creator. Like, you know, it's it's fairly standardized from what I know and from talking. Like, I mean, no one's got secrets as far as I know. Um okay. and we're all very close. SourcePoint Press is very much a family. Um but uh, it's, it's pro- like without going into too much detail, I would say it's one of the more attractive, if not the most attractive creator owned um, deal you can get in comics, Wh- whether it would be the most lucrative or not is wholly up for debate. But
0: mm-hmm. in terms of
2: what you get out of the contract, it's it's very good for the creator. And um, I own, you know, the rights to all my stuff. Um, you know, SourcePoint has a contract with me regarding media rights and, and distribution, and stuff like that. But it's all very amicable. It's all beyond fair compared to other publishers I've talked to. Um, so the long answer is that the short answer is yes, it's creator owned. Oh,
1: that's cool. That's very cool. I didn't know that for sure. That that's cool to hear from an actual creator. Yeah. So sorry, we've kind of gotten off track, but uh, I want to hear more about uh, no heroin. Uh, yeah. I'd love to hear if you could let the listeners in on the uh, elevator pitch and brief synopsis of that book. That'd be awesome.
2: Yeah. So, um, I think I, I definitely talk about this when I get podcasts interviewed all the time. And I'm sure I mentioned last time, but one of my big influences in terms of my writing is, is Joss Whedon's work, um, specifically on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, so No Heroin is kind of my love letter to uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer-esque story, it's, uh, but it asks the question, like, what would Buffy the Vampire Slayer be like if Buffy had been a recovering heroin addict um, and was a terrible hero? um so the name is it's kind of a pun you know no Mm -hmm. heroin she's a recovering addict and no heroin she's not very good at it uh being a hero Uh, but honestly it's um like like with dead end kids and and grief it's a book that's like infused with like my personal experience and my you know sort of writing dna um i uh growing up i had a lot of people in my life who really struggled with addiction um a lot of people who you know you yeah, know, didn't come out the other end of it in a good way or not at all, um, to, to put it lightly. Um, and like, it's always sort of weighed on me and like, you can see some of that in grief. There's a couple stories about drugs and, and, and drug recovery. And then, uh, in, uh, dead end kids, we've got, you know, some, some stuff around drugs. Um, uh, if you, I don't know if you guys remember, but, uh, the, uh, Oh God, sorry. I'm losing names here. Um, the, the Avery character rather, um, his daughter died of a drug overdose and that's sort of like his origin sort of who he is in the story. Um, so like it's just always something that is is on my mind. It's something that's affected me very deeply and personally throughout my life um, but it's also something that like I am not in love with the sort of portrayal in popular culture necessarily. Um, like a lot of uh, addiction narratives really focus on the, the A to B story of going from a normal life to an addicted life. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and not for many people, but for some people, there is a sort of second phase of that where you go from the addicted life to the, the post addicted life. Like if you end up in recovery and you can stay in recovery, like that's a whole different journey. Um, and that's sort of like what I wanted to, to look at in this. Um, I didn't want to romanticize it or anything like Kayla, the main character, like I said, she's She's kind of a shitty person, honestly. Like, she's not a good person. She's a recovering drug addict, but she's she takes advantage of people, and she's, you know, not very good at being a hero. And she does it for the wrong reasons. Um, but she is trying to be a better person, like, however clumsily she is going about it. Um, so it's like, um, I always, I always talk about uh, the sequel to Ender's Game, Speaker for the Dead, uh, as like a big influence on my personal philosophy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just real quickly about that. Uh, Spear for the Dead follows Ender after the events of Ender's game, and you know, no spoilers here, but he's on some kind of redemption arc, um, mm-hmm. and what he does is he goes around the universe giving eulogies for people who have died that he doesn't know, um, and he sort of does like a PI type of thing and investigates the people's lives, and what he does is when he gives the eulogy, he gives like a fair and honest eulogy. Like, he says this person was good for this these reasons and bad for these reasons. Like, it's not romanticized, it's not you know damning by any means it's just an honest look at who the person was and sort of like you know a fair look at what their legacy would be and that's sort of what i try to bring to characters like kayla like yeah she's she's not in a good way she's not the best person but she's also not the worst person and i think that that's a good lens to look at people in recovery with because like, you know, being the son of, of two drug addicts and having grown up with my mother going in and out of uh, recovery and, and relapsing, um, <clears throat> I've seen that the, the awful things people can do. Like, and you hear the stories of people selling their kids to buy drugs and, and not feeding their kids and stuff like that. And God, you know, blessed, none of that ever really happened to me. But, you know, you, we always hear the bad side. But uh, I also witnessed firsthand sort of the struggles <clears throat> that people go through in recovery. The, the daily, you know, trying to push to, to not relapse and, and to not let every little thing be the end of the world and looking for, for reasons to, to stay clean and sober, like family, and, and, and not wanting to let people down. And, and honestly, that, from where I'm sitting, having never been a drug addict, but having known many of them, is, is probably the harder part. Like, it's, again, it's, it's almost a redemption arc of sorts.
1: And that's very clear in this book that there's a lot of of course religious symbolism, which I'd like to talk about later, but the 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 visuals in the script are very clear on where you know the main character needs to go or wants to go. Like, you know, her goals, her wants are are clear within the page. And yeah, there's a lot of cool thematic stuff going on subtextually as far as like of course battling vampires, battling demons, you know, those sort of ideas going on
2: there um, yeah, and that's 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 baked into the Buffy idea, like I mean you know the core concept of Buffy is high school is a horror movie, you know the demons are literal and figurative, like yeah, you don't feel seen by all the other kids and then you turn invisible like i mean it's it's pretty on the nose, so I tried to to, to like I said write a love letter to that, but my own way and a little less obvious, but yeah it's that's, definitely- that's
1: and it's that's brilliant to have her fight vampires because again i I don't know. I have family members who are uh, you know uh, you know in recovery and I've known people who have been in recovery from drug addicts and you're right they use people you know like there there is sort of a vampirism in a way to it right you know that 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 part of the addiction is you know feeding off of others and poisoning them as well and with your addiction or your you know your your fault so to have her fight be fighting vampires is sort of an interesting you know, a way of, uh, you know, showing and not telling, you know, or at least moving the story along in an interesting way.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just thrilled and and relieved, honestly, to hear people say that, like not a lot of people have read the book yet. Um, It just finished the first issue got finished being lettered a couple days ago, maybe about a week ago at this point. Um, So like, it's still pretty fresh. And like, weirdly enough, I wrote the script for this one last May before i wrote the scripts for dead end kids oh wow um, so this is technically an older story that's been in production a lot longer was it last may or was it the may before god it was a long time ago uh-huh. <laughs> um, but uh so like i there was a little voice in the back of my head that was like this isn't gonna be as good because you weren't as good a writer and i mean i don't think you can compare the two but little voice doesn't shut up
0: <laughs> no it's always there Um, so I think what's really cool is here is that, you know, we always talk about like the flawed hero and like you, you, you have that here with, with the, with the addiction. Um, uh, and you know, throughout this, throughout this story, this first issue that, that we've been able to, to look at, she, she's tempted a lot and you know, there's, so you, 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 you're playing on those flaws, which is, is done really well.
2: Yeah. I, you know, it's, um, like I guess like I this is a hard story for me to pin down sort of like where everything came from because a lot of it is baked into to my experience and like I'm not necessarily sure where some things came from I can just mm-hmm. say it came from this this particular pool whereas Dead and Kids like I almost know where every scene and line of dialogue came from <clears throat> but uh yeah like the the temptation stuff like I don't know like it just it just came out that way. Like, I wish I could speak more to the, the constructing comics aspect of that, because Mm -hmm. that's something that I'm actually wondering more about now that we're talking about. Um, But it's uh, I mean, some of it I think probably comes from aping Buffy. Like, you know, Buffy has a very under, not underdeveloped but under underspoken uh, religious element of it that isn't very in your face like but it's always there and you're always aware of it um and i wanted to to make sure that goes through this but also um you know the scene in particular i think we're talking about is the one where she goes to the church before sort of the climax of the, Mm -hmm. the issue um and that that also just comes from my experience with uh growing up with my mom, um, when she would go to NA and AA meetings, you know, those things are always in the basements of churches. Right, um, right. so like I just have this sort of preternatural or preternatural, uh, association between like drugs and religion, <laughs> like, and it, the two aren't obviously linked in a discernible way, but, uh, it just, it just felt like the right move. Also like, you know, that particular part of the book, like she's without spoiling it about the bark on what's essentially a suicide mission. And I feel like, you know, I think there's a lot of dialogue and narration in there where she says, you know, I'll take whatever help I can get. Yeah. And that, and that is honestly like, that is part of the the concept here. Like you, you touched on it a little bit that, uh, Kayla and addicts in general tend to be kind of bloodsuckers. Um, and, and her sort of grasping at straws for help. You know, I mean, like there's a, a montage in there where she puts together some weapons. Um, and like, she's literally scraping the bottom of the barrel for it. Um, and she's scraping the bottom of the barrel for hope. And she's just trying to get what she needs from wherever she can get it. And that's, that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. So, um, while
0: we're talking about this section of the book, that page, um, I, I really love the design of that one. And and I'm speaking of the one that was like with the stained glass window. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, so was that like when you were writing that, did you did you have that direction or was that something that the artist brought to to that uh page? you
2: know what? So Chris Chris uh, brought that to it. Um Chris is a really thoughtful artist. Um like and, and it's it was really interesting working with him. I I'd have to look back at the script to be sure, but I think that the way it's all framed with um, the stained glass, which if I'm not mistaken, depicts uh, the last temptation of Christ. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that was all Chris. Like, and we batted that back and forth. It was an idea he had had. And like, we talked about like how to execute it on the page, but um, like, this is a good opportunity to talk about Chris. Like if you look throughout the book, there's lots of little stuff sort of, hidden throughout it i'm still finding things like towards the end there's a dead end kids cover as a poster in one of the scenes um there's a shot of a park bench uh, that some stuff is laid out on that has all kinds of stuff carved into it and a lot of his little references to the publisher and to, um there's a little little dove on there for you know referencing grief oh, wow. um uh there's a and there's a scene with a dumpster and there's a guy just popping out of the dumpster it's hysterical uh it's, I mean it's so Chris is a very thoughtful um collaborator um he's a great artist and it was really a joy to work with him because he straddles the line between taking direction well and then running with it like Chris I we talked about how to do the scripts after this two and three um and I said, yeah, do you wanna do more of a Marvel style and have a little bit more freedom? And, but he was pretty insistent on having structure
0: mm-hmm. and then
2: playing with the structure. So it was full script, uh, panel descriptions, dialogue, all of it on the page for him. And then he would sort of do his take on it. Um, and more times than not, uh, pretty much every time like it came out great, like or better than what was on the page. Like I, I get to hide behind these really talented people because my scripts, they're just garbage. <laughs> like, <laughs> so thank them.
0: No, I, I doubt that's the case. Uh, okay. do, you see, do you see things at like the thumbnail, the pencil and the ink stage or were you seeing sort of close to finalized pages?
2: I am very meticulous about seeing things in stages just because um, especially Chris works uh, traditionally. So pencils and ink on paper. Um, so if there's a mistake, like it's, it's harder to go back. Like mm-hmm. uh, Ahmed, who's doing the covers, we, we do lots of iterations of the covers and we kick it back like a couple times a day. Um, But he can make changes really easily, like big changes. You know, Photoshop is is a crazy, amazing tool. Chris can't make those kinds of things. So what we, the process we sort of implemented was I would hand over the script. He would do thumbs for the whole issue. Um, I'd look at the thumbs and, excuse me, look at the thumbs and, uh, you know, approve them uh Chris would start doing pencils and then I would realize that I missed a whole bunch of stuff in the thumbs because they're small and not super detailed. Uh and then we'd go back and fix things and then we'd get the pencils right and then I'd finalize those and he'd do the inking. Um then we'd pass it over to his daughter Shauna for coloring and then Sean got him for letters. Um and that was the whole process. And then along the way we'd always figure out we miss things. Like uh <clears throat> there's a scene towards the end where two vampires are, are getting killed and there's only one of them dies on panels. So we had to sort of figure out like a creative way to, to translate the death of the other one using sound and, and images. Um, and that was actually like a cool sort of on the fly thing that, yeah, you know, it's one of those things that I'm sure people encounter doing freelance comics all the time. So it's just a little feather in my cap for, for the future.
0: Yeah, that's more of the uh, on-the-spot thinking that you were describing, like back with the uh, you know the orders for 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 Dead End Kids. You, that was a bit of uh, problem-solving and thinking on your on your feet there. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned earlier this is a this is a three-issue um, uh, three-issue series, and Dead End Kids was three-issue series. Is that sort of like what you're comfortable working at uh, right now?
2: Uh, you know, when, when I, like I said, I wrote this before I wrote dead end kids and I wrote them about the same time. So, um, at the time it was, uh, the stuff I'm working on now is in the four issue range. Um, okay. so I, I always treat writing, like going to the gym, like, you know, you walk in, you lift up the five pound dumbbells and then you do the 10 pound dumbbells and eventually you're at the hundreds. Um, so this is just me picking up the next weight. I, I, I don't want to overextend myself and make something that is garbage because I wasn't prepared to work at that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, But I think where I'm at now, like in in my mind and in my story planning, I'm looking at stuff that's like 12 issues long, like down the line and, and like longer miniseries and stuff like that. So like, you know, like I said, I wrote this close to two years ago at this point. Um, Now I'm I'm like uh, Dead End Kids 2 is currently greenlit and and not being drawn, but being written. Um, And that's going to be four issues. So like, it's, you know, uh, I think at the end of the day, like for me, it's more important that it's about how long the story needs to be. Mm-hmm. Like I, I could, you know, have done the story in 12 issues or five issues or one issue. Um, but the the way I pared down the story and structured it and, and, and wrote it to be, it was it's essentially three acts, you know, three standalone issues that tell a larger story across them. Almost like three episodes of Buffy. Very cool.
1: What um, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, Matt.
0: No, 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 please go ahead.
1: I was just going to ask, um, with your uh, later projects and stuff like that uh do you have a a specific genre that you like to write now with uh grief Uh, sorry now with grief with uh no heroine being more like fantasy horror and then dead end kids being more mystery drama um is there Uh, like a preference that you have in genre uh
2: yeah early in my career and you can like grief is sort of Proof positive of this like I made a commitment to not get pigeonholed into a genre like Mm -hmm. I very specifically love superhero comics And there's not a lot of space for them in the indie world So like I don't write a lot of superhero stories some shorts here and there um, but I honestly I don't want to be like like I love ed brubaker Um, my bookshelves are those books, but he's the crime guy. You know what? I mean, right? I I don't want to be that like because I as I feel like there's less room to push yourself you now and and, and and learn and, and grow as a creator. I, I could be wrong. I'm not Ed and Ed is tremendous. So who, what the hell do I know? Um, but I've made a sort of concerted effort not to go down one specific hole too far without exploring some other holes first. Uh, so like I said, grief is pretty cross genre. There's horror, there's, there's sci-fi, there's, there's a little magic in there. There's a lot of drama. Um, my storytelling philosophy is to tell stories about characters and wrap them in genres. Um, so, I mean, you know, no, Heroine is, is not a vampire story. It's a story about a woman in recovery and there happened to be vampires. Uh, Dead in kids is a story about childhood trauma that also happens to be wrapped in a, a murder mystery. So it's, right. so it's, you know, I, I guess the, the short answer is no, I don't, I don't, like particularly one genre when i read comics and consume media I, I like a few specific genres a lot more than some of the others but when i create i try not to like, like every 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 book you write is a tryout for yeah well some gig down the line maybe like i would love to write power rangers and ninja turtles mm-hmm. um and those are two of the properties that some of the stuff that i'm working on now influence a lot um and and that's sort of like yeah, you know, so it's there's there's like an economics and 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 you know employment aspect to everything I do too, which makes it sound like no fun and kind of like dry and and rote, but it's 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 not that. Like I try to do everything as like I said, a love letter, like or or and tell stories about shit that matters to me.
1: That's cool to know about your principles and uh it's always interesting to hear whether I mean not to pigeonhole writers into two places, but it's always interesting to hear what If a writer is more plot driven or character driven, um, because, you know, it it does give you an eye into sort of what the sensibilities of the writers are. So, you know, it's character first for you that that's a cool fact to know.
2: In my ideal world, when I become a better writer someday, I would straddle the fine line. It's a, it's a huge divide actually between Rick Remender and Jonathan Hickman, Right. Rick's character work is, is superb. His plotting is, is really great, but it's really like, especially in like books like deadly class, like it's so character driven, so internalized. Um, and then Jonathan's got these sweeping, you know, massive, sometimes no character development at all type stories, which, which is fine. Like both are, I mean, you can do transformers or you can do the Godfather or you can do something in between. And I'd like to land somewhere in between.
1: Well, you sound like you have a very Aaron Sorkin way of approaching plot, right? (laughs) Yeah, which would, you know, he talks about how the plot is informed by what the characters want and need, and then the obstacles in their way of getting there.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Somebody told me early on, and I think it was Paul Aller, who's doing a really incredible run on G.I. Joe right now over IDW for all of you listening. Uh, Paul's one of my mentors. I've, I've taken a bunch of classes at Comics Experience with him, and I've spoken with him a bunch you know sort of in person and in in our friendship Um, and he sort of described plot as think of it like like an old spaghetti western Uh, and and it's like the like the downtown the strip of saloons and the bank and and the, the the sheriff's office and you've got all these storefronts on either side of the street going straight down. And on the on the inside of the street, it looks like a town. But if you walk around behind the storefronts, you see that it's just all set dressing. Like it's held up with beams. It's not really, you know, a bank or a bar or whatever. Um, and like, that's what he sort of described to me as, as plot. Plot is set dressing for the character arc. Everything serves the character arc. Um, so, you know, like when we were talking earlier, no heroin, we have a recovering drug addict who is essentially a leech of a person and what what is the the literal embodiment of, of that for her to face up essentially fight herself in a weird way vampires, which plays really nicely into the buffy aspect of it um, so yeah you know, there's there's that
0: so i have a, I have a bit of a uh, i guess maybe it would lean towards more towards like an industry question if that's okay sure. for you yeah um, with the success of the dead end kids and, and grief. Um, and, and those have both been by Sourcepoint. source point. Um, are you getting attention from, from other places? Like uh, maybe like, a, maybe, and, 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 if you don't want to answer that's that's perfectly fine. Cause it's a bit inside baseball. It's a bit personal, but like is, is does does, you know, coming out with like a book with like a, like you said, a, a mid tier publisher and source point is out there, you know, at the cons, you know, working really hard. Um, is that getting you attention anywhere?
2: Yeah, in, def- it, it, definitely. In- definitely. Um, so let, let me preface all this by saying that as, as a person, uh, another one of my personal philosophies is to always have extremely managed expectations.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, I went in to get dead in kids thinking if we sold 500 copies of this between previews and at cons, that would be a success. We went on to sell, I think, seven thousand issues of the first cop or the seven thousand copies of the first issue. Um, so I always like to be surprised and have sort of conservative estimates of of my value and and of my reach and and of of what I'm able to achieve. Honestly, it's it's a it's a coping mechanism that always lets me achieve better than I expect. But uh, it serves me pretty well. That all said, um, the truth is, I was able to have two or three meetings with Hollywood related and adjacent people about dead end kids. Uh, I can, I can say right now that nothing is on paper, nothing signed conversations have happened. Um, And, you know, since those conversations, some other people, uh, one person from Sony who I know another person who I don't know reached out this week, you know, have, have inquired and, and, you know, things, things are, things are not, not, unactive um but i feel like that road is very long and and you know one percent of one percent of projects actually end up getting that far so i i'm i'm not banking on it it would be very cool but it's not why i did the, the book so I, i'm not like incredibly emotionally invested or financially hopeful about it so it's fine um in terms of my comics work uh the the success of both book, like i mean the success of grief really made it easy for me to get dead Eye and kids greenlit at source point like i think Travis will probably kill me for saying this, but I think he he greenlit it without reading it.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And honestly, to this day, I'm pretty sure he's never read it. But <laughs> but I mean I, I could be wrong about that. But I think the He's a
1: busy guy, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean yeah. that really is that is probably part of it. Also he probably thinks my work is trash. But <laughs> besides, the, besides the point. Um, but uh, you know, I think he saw me put together a book that he really appreciated and, and liked and saw that I could sell it. Um, like, I mean, we moved through 3000 copies of grief, which is a tough sell. Like, I mean, it's, it's material that people don't necessarily want to engage with or aren't willing to even give a shot. And we sold 3000 of them in like a year and like 15 months or like that. Um, and that a lot of it was me hand selling at con. So like, he saw me like committed and, and like, I think honestly to him, commitment and 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 hustle are at least as important as a book being good Mm. Um, so when I pitched dead-end kids like it was it was a fairly easy conversation Um, it helped that I had the book finished Um, having a finished book always helps get it published I mean like it takes so much of the risk out of the equation like if you green light something and the person dies halfway through what do you do like so having the book done really helped Um, so and then dead and kids did really well and I kept hustling Um, kept I did at least two or three more shows this year than I did last year. It might even be four or five. Um, and I, I did a signing tour all on my own dollar. I think I did 17 signings this year in six or seven different States. Um, so like, you know, all of that combined essentially got me no heroin, you know, on, on a, on a in-person verbal pitch with almost nothing to back it up a little bit of art. Um, so I mean, in, in source point, um, each one has been like a domino knocking down the rest, which has made everything after it a little bit easier. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, dead and kids Two is, is going to be a thing. Um, And I'm actively like developing that, like as we speak presently. Um, And that might be out later this year. If like everything lines up Uh, and uh, in terms of like other publishers, like it's hard for me to gauge because like, you don't know who knows what Mm -hmm. I opposite my normal conservative estimates about things. I think more people know who I am now than I think do. Um, and I, and I only think that for, for one reason, um, when I was at the Ringo awards back in October, uh, when Grief was nominated, I went up to Ross Ritchie, who is the uh, president of Boom, uh, to introduce myself because I, I'd, anytime I have the opportunity to meet an editor or managing editor or president or CEO, I, I, I want to know these people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I walked up and introduced myself. I was like, "Hey, Ross, uh, I'm Frank Gogol." And he stops. He's like, oh, hey, "Dead end kids, right?" And I was like, "Yes." Um, That's cool. And and he followed that up by saying, "Yeah, yeah, you got a, you got a lot of a lot of fans in our editorial department." Um, oh wow. Who those people are, I have no idea. Um, whether he was being nice or not, I have no idea. But I, I, it gave me some measure of hope that you know I, I've got people who I'm on the radar of. I know that there are at least a couple of editors that I, I regularly talk to, and you know I've had a couple meetings. And so, like, <sighs> comics is it's a it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I know that's a cliche, um, but like every aspect of this really is a marathon. Like learning to write and building the muscles and taking the time to do it right instead of you know putting out as much as you can and wasting a bunch of money and and building your network and and building your fan base like every year i set myself goals to look at what i was able to achieve last year and figure out how i can scale it a little bit so Mm -hmm. like Last year, I put out one miniseries. I was like, well, let me put out two this year. Last year, I did seven, 16 or 17 cons. So this year, I'm doing 20. Um, I did 17 store signings last year. So this year, I'm going to shoot for 20. Uh, I met X number of editors last year. So I'm trying to meet this many this year. And and just take take my time, learn the skills, apply them, get good at them so that they're second nature, learn more skills. It's just constantly rolling over towards that finish line. But The finish line is so far away. And it's, you know it's you you can't make it happen. Like you can, the only thing you really can do is, is be as noticeable as you are capable of being like, be so good. They can't not see you.
0: Yeah. There's a couple of things that I I took away from that. Um, I, I know Andy as well from comics experience. And he, I think his saying is, is that you, there's really like three things is uh talent being nice and being persistent. And it seems like, and he's like, if you have two of those three, you know almost certainly it'll it'll eventually happen for you, and it sounds like you have all three of those you you know you're persistent um you're nice, and you got the talent to, to get things done and The other thing that you were saying is is that you you give yourself manageable goals um so that like you're you're striving for something, but it's also something that you know if you put that work in that you you have a good chance of hitting it.
2: Yeah, I mean like it's it's the only way to honestly stay sane doing comics like comics is it's so time consuming like to do it on on any kind of professional level especially at the indie sort Mm -hmm. of stage I spend more hours doing comic stuff each week than I do my full day full-time day job Um, and I even spend some of those full-time day job hours doing comic stuff when I can get away with it Um, but it really is I mean like the writing is so so, such a little portion of it, like managing production uh, of of the art and keeping all of the 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 collaborators on task and and on schedule, not that they're like cats and I have to hurt them, but you know, making sure that, you know, when a book's going to be in solicits in a couple of months, you know, somebody has got to crack the whip and make sure things are moving. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I, I mean, you guys are the podcast hosts, so I don't know if you know what it's like trying to set up a podcast, but getting an interview, getting in contact with the podcast and then getting the interview set and then executing on the interview. I mean, that is, that is a real crapshoot. You guys are amazing. So thank you for the excellent communication and, and the openness and, and just being on top of the ball. I know we had to reschedule one time last time and you guys are super flexible. Some podcasts won't return messages. Other podcasts will not show up and oh. then, and then ghost you. Like, it's oh, wow. crazy. yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's just, it's, it's crazy. And then that's just another thing. Like, I mean, being the writer of a comic, like I know everyone says artists are underappreciated and I 100% agree with that, but I don't think people realize what goes into being the face of a comic. And this is, this is sounding arrogant and I don't mean it to, but I, I have a calendar in front of me and there are 37 podcasts on it. The goal is oh, to wow. get to, the, the goal is to get to 50 by the middle of May uh, which is towards the end of the the previous window, um, and that's that's 50, probably fifty hours of my life in the next four and a half months, um, and probably conservatively forty nights. Like mm-hmm. you know, I can't do two podcasts most nights, um, so it's just you know the the, the time commitment is. I always toy with the idea of like writing like a how-to comics guide, and I always convince myself, no, nah, I don't have enough experience yet. But one of the first chapters I would write, I've already written in my head. It's called Jagged Little Pills, and it's all these like cold water truths that you have to swallow if you want to do this and do it right. And like the first one is like, you know, if you're not willing to put the time in, and it's a lot of time, you're never ever gonna make it. And like that's just, I wake up every morning at five five thirty six at the latest, and I get to work and I, I do the writing and I send emails and I check art and I communicate with creators in other countries where it's night for them. And like, mm-hmm. it's just, it doesn't stop either. Like it's, that's my Saturday and my Sunday too. Some, and Saturday and Sunday it's a way more because I don't have work in the middle of the day. This is all a long way of saying, i making comics is awesome.
0: That's no, crazy. no, I, yeah, there was a, I, I could, draw a lot of parallels from, from what you were, what you were saying. And like, uh, you know, I, I do some writing and it's, it's interesting that like, and you probably experienced this, that like, you know, that these were words that you wrote on a piece of paper or, you know, on a word processor, on a computer two years ago, and they've sort of been living in your head. And now, just now through all of that work each day, you know it's it's turning into a thumbnail then it's turning into pencils so you've lived with this for the for the longest of of any of the team and it's sort of been in your head and now you're seeing it get close to that goal line so it is it is a daily grind and then it's you know that's that that finished product where everything comes together
2: yeah but you know it's i said this last time we talked it's it's such a good feeling like it's to to sort of bring this a little bit full circle with the the whole addiction conversation. Like I remember getting my first finished comic pages. It was the first five pages of grief. Uh, It was the story embrace. That's the last story in the collection. I got the finished, you know, drawn lettered colored pages to my inbox and I saw them and I read them and I looked at them and like, I, I I mean, I don't know what it's like to to smoke crack, but I feel like that was like, like, (laughs) like, like that instant, unforgettable like you need to have more kind of high and like that that was that was like May 7th of 2016 I think that's the exact date and like I have never since then not wanted to have a day where I got art into my inbox and the days that I don't have art coming in are hellish like they're the <laughs> wow. most unfulfilling days of my life anymore um I mean there's a lot of good in my life I got a great wife I got a great dog a great cat lovely life but those days fucking they 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 hit me where I live that's
0: Uh, awesome. It's certainly, uh, it's certainly cool to uh, either wake up or or get that notification that, you know, either pages have been emailed to you or your Dropbox folder has been updated. And then you, you, you click that and you, and you, you get, you get surprised and you, you you get amazed by, like I said, the, the words that you put on, you know, you, the words that you put down have now been turned into almost this magical thing that's, you know, representing Um, you know, those thoughts and ideas that were in your head.
2: Yeah. And you know what? I think subconsciously I tend to to work with artists who are faster just so I can get that high more (laughs) often. Like, Ahmed, who's doing the covers for for uh, No Heroine and did the the variants for Dead End Kids, he's super fast. Like, he's a busy guy. He's doing a bunch of different projects at once, but, like, we'll kick an idea back and forth, finalize it. He'll send me thumbnails, like, the same day and inks, like, a day or two later and then colors the next day. Like, I mean, he's, he's a machine and I love working with him because he's talented, but also secretly because, like, he he's he's my hookup, like he's my dealer. <laughs> um, and the same thing with Nanad, who did the art for dead and kids um and a lot of grief. Like, I mean Nanad sometimes sends me three, four, five pages a day. Like I don't know how he does it. Um I mean he doesn't have like a super complex hyper realistic style, but like I mean he's his pages always look good. He does his own colors. I mean, like it's he's a machine. But I keep working with him because he's talented, but also because he gets me high. <laughs>
1: yeah. So that should I, be the that's gonna be You know, if we could get a book quote from you, that I think would be the ultimate goal is if Matt and I can create a book and we can get you a quote of saying it gets you high. I think that would be the ultimate praise we could get from anyone. You let me know. Yeah.
0: Very very cool. So I think this is going to bring the the interview to a close. Noah, do you have any uh, final thoughts or any final uh, questions for Frank before we tie it up?
1: Uh, it's been a joy, Frank. It's been awesome. I, I loved your last interview. It was really inspiring to hear, you know, your stories of uh, creativity and how you work. And it's been great to talk with you now and uh, divulge uh, a little bit more into your backstory and into your creativity and your principles. It's, it's been phenomenal. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I I would like to echo that. I I enjoyed uh, in the interview, and like I said a couple of times, I, I drew a lot of parallels from from what you were saying, and it's very very inspirational. Um, Frank, uh, could you let people know where they could find you, and uh, guess uh, so, a bit about the how to get their hands on this book? And I I'm going to suggest that people pre-order this based on what happened with uh, Dead End Kids would be the the best uh, the best choice for folks out there.
2: Yes, I would, I would agree with that. Um, If anyone wants to follow me, I'm on all of your standard social media. I'm on Instagram uh, at, at Frank Gogol, F R A N K G O G O L one word. I'm on Twitter. And since we last talked, I've, I've come more around to Twitter. So that's also at Frank Gogol. Um, I'm on Facebook. If anyone's listening and is a creator and wants to connect and has questions, feel free to shoot me a friend request. As long as you're not crazy or my (laughs) ex-girlfriend, like feel free. Um, and then uh, with, with the book itself, uh, yeah. Like the, if if anyone takes one thing away from this this interview, and it not necessarily even about my book, but go pre-order comics. Like the pre-order system for comics is it's archaic and it is not optimal for creators, retailers, or readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one thing you can do to to make sure you can get your hands on a book you want is pre-order it. Like that's, that's what the pre-orders are for. Um, so the, the book's called no heroin. Uh, the first issue is out in June. Um, at the time of this recording, I don't have the pre-order code yet. Uh, that'll come out in April, but, uh, you guys just just you know when april rolls around walk into your comic shop and say tell me you want no Heroin uh my friend google source point press uh any of those three pieces will help them figure it out and get it for you it's three issues they're all awesome if you're a fan of buffy you like monster stories you like good character stories uh if you like grief or dead and kids or any of the other books source point press puts out if you like indie books um mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think there's a little a little hints of The Crow and Kabuki or some of my favorite books probably worm their way in there. Um, so yeah, if you like any of that stuff, this is absolutely a book worth checking out. Um, the second issue is absolutely my favorite thing I've ever written, so you know, don't just check out the first one if you like the first one. Definitely come back for two and three. It's I, I think it's the strongest thing I've ever written, so I'm excited for people to check it out.
0: Awesome. Yeah, we will definitely, when that uh, previews code comes out uh, in, uh, you said April, is that correct?
2: Yeah. It'll be, it'll be like J U N two O and then four more numbers. Like that's the format. But honestly, the, the pre-order code is almost useless at this point. You just need to know the name of the book.
0: Yeah. You no, know, no. Yeah. Cool. Went. Cool. So um, I, once again, I want to thank you. Um, if anybody would like to give us a follow, we are on Twitter at construct compod we're on Instagram at constructing comics pod, Facebook, constructing comics and YouTube constructing comics. Uh, uh, this was a really good episode. I think we had a lot of uh, good creator talk and some, some inside baseball as it comes to, to, to comics. So I'd like to thank everybody for listening and we'll be back with a, another episode very soon.